listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, Oasis, and happy Easter. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Now, I know this is not how we thought we'd spend Easter Sunday morning, but there's a lot to learn, I think, from the way in which we're living these days. And there's ways in which even our experience of quarantine and social distancing because of the coronavirus can teach us things about Easter. There's ways in which the Easter as we celebrate it this year will be close to the way in which Easter was celebrated the first year. I'd like for us to start as we start this new season and a new series that we're calling Celebrate and Be Celebrated. Let's begin by looking at the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 28. It's the first 10 verses, and it's Matthew's account of the story of the resurrection. This is what it says. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord, descending from heaven, came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come. See the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead. And indeed, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly, with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So how is it that this experience of the coronavirus and us quarantining might help us realize more so what the first Easter was like? I think there's several ways that that happens. One is at the first Easter, there was not a large crowd gathered there. Like we're used to Easter Sunday being that Sunday where our churches are full. Folks come on Easter that don't come any other time of the year. In fact, there might be folks watching today who don't typically watch. And of course, you're welcome. But all of us are not gathered. And so this Easter, we're in small crowds. Much like the first Easter, there was a small crowd. There was a handful of Roman soldiers and two women and an angel. And so, once again, we start Easter in a small gathering. That Easter was also filled, or filled with fear, but it was mixed with joy. And this Easter, we experience an unknown time, and I'm sure it causes us to experience some fear. But fear doesn't categorically rule out the experience of joy as well. So we can be fearful, and we can also have joy, which is exactly what it says that Mary and Mary both had. They were afraid, of course, uh, as were the Roman soldiers, and even 
when they heard that Jesus had been resurrected and said that they were afraid, but that they were also feared with joy. And I think that can be part of our experience too. Now, Jesus, of course, when he does, uh, is revealed to them, he says, go and tell my brothers that I will come to meet them. And I think it's much the same way for us too, that even though we're not all gathered together at the church, wherever we may be, in our family rooms, in our kitchens, in our apartments, with our roommates, with our families, that Jesus will come and find us just the same way he came and found his disciples. This message that he is not here. Now at Oasis, we don't have a marquee that sits out on the road, but if we did, I would have placed on the marquee this week, he is not here. And we are not here either. The way in which we are not there in some ways reflects the ways in which he was not in that tomb. Jesus vacated that tomb and that gave us life. And now we are vacating our gatherings together so that we might give life to others. I want to encourage you to kind of maintain your quarantine and maintain your social distancing. This is the way that we'll move forward and get past this coronavirus, uh, coronavirus crisis. This is an act of compassion. I've said this before, but I want to underscore it because I really believe that as we practice these things, it's a way for us to show that we care, that we care for the doctors and nurses and first responders, that we care for those who are essential workers and have to work, whether they're keeping on the lights and the water and the internet so that we can do these things, or whether they're manning uh, or working at the grocery store. So wherever you are today, I want you to know that Christ is with you. Even if you feel empty, even in the emptiness of the tomb, in a strange way, Christ is there. Christ is there in every way that we need him to be. And Christ found those sequestered, kind of quarantined disciples who had been hiding out and trying to avoid the authorities. And he inspired them, not just with his life and his message that he had given, but now that he was raised from the dead. And that inspiration, of course, gets picked up by his disciples, and in particularly Peter. In Luke's account of this, you see Peter's testimony now to the Gentiles because the message is being expanded. It's not just to Jesus and his disciples. It's not to the few. It's for the many. And it's not for one particular group or one particular nationality, but it's for us all. So I'd like for you to turn to the book of Acts in Acts chapter 10. And there we see Luke's account of Peter's uh, sermon as Peter summarizes the story of Easter and the gospel message. I'm reading in Luke, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced, 
and how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all those who, those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear not to all the people, but to us who were chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he was the one ordained by God as the judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. So we hear in Peter's uh, account of the gospel several things that I want to highlight for us today, for us to think about. The first point is, is that God is not, uh, shows no partiality. God doesn't care what country you come from. God doesn't care what neighborhood you live in. God doesn't care um, what gender you are or what race you are. God doesn't care about any of those categories that we would use to separate people. God doesn't sow partiality. You know, in a very interesting way, the coronavirus also doesn't show partiality. It doesn't matter how much money you have or what education you have or where you live. The, the virus is willing to attack anyone. And the inverse, God is willing to save anyone. And so there's no partiality in our message, none whatsoever. There's no category. There's no human being that God has not uh, sent forgiveness for, that God is not actively uh, working to save. But this message, this message comes through a very particular person at a particular time. It's Jesus of Nazareth, and he came preaching peace. That's exactly what it says here, that preaching peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Look, our message is not one of war and violence. It's one of peace, but it's true peace. It's, it's the peace, like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would say, that peace is not just the absence of war or violence or a negative force. Peace is the presence of a positive force, of love, of reconciliation. And the peace that Jesus brings, he brings to us too. And it's not just a peace that we can um, not be at odds with one another or not be fighting or, or not go to war, but it's also an inner peace. It's a peace of mind. It's a peace that we can all experience. And it's a peace that I pray that you can experience this day, the day that we celebrate the resurrection. Now we, we hear from Peter that this all started when Jesus was baptized and that the Spirit descended upon him and that he went about doing good and healing uh, the sick. And that what, one thing that I really wanted to highlight for you, it's in verse 39. It's the second half of the verse. It says, They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all, but to the ones that who were chosen. Look, as we tell the message of Jesus Christ, it's very important, I think, that we don't tell it in such a way that somehow God killed Jesus or that somehow Jesus protects us from God. We don't need anything to protect us from the love of the Father. 
Jesus is the truest revelation of who God is. And the way that Peter tells this story, I think, makes this point so strongly. It's the Romans who are responsible for killing Jesus. Now, the Jewish leadership, of course, were active in, in orchestrating that. But the Romans put him to death. That, that is the response of humanity to Christ. And God's response to the crucifixion is the resurrection. It is they who put him to death, but on the third day, it is God who raised him from the dead. And that's the heart of this story, that God's uh, willingness even to die on a cross is not the end of a story, but that God would raise Jesus from the dead and that he would then appear. And it's interesting here, too, that as Peter says, he didn't appear to everyone. Like, I haven't seen the, res the resurrected Lord, and I, I doubt that any of you have either. But in the same way that it started with a small group of people, just, just a couple of women at the tomb, and then expanded to a slightly larger group, the disciples of Jesus, and then it expanded more on the day of Pentecost, and then it expands more here in Acts chapter 10 as Peter preaches in Caesarea Maritima to the house of Cornelius, the centurion. And it continues to spread and spread. So our, our churches might very well be empty today. But I've heard all my life what I understood primarily just to be a cliché, that somehow the church is not the building, it's the people. And I believe that. But the coronavirus has taught me to, to believe that not just intellectually, but existentially, like in my, and also in my body. Like I realize that we are not together physically. And I miss you. And I look forward to being with you. But I also know this, that as God appeared to a few, and those few spread that message so that now we are many, we too are incumbent because God has been revealed to us. It says at the end of that passage that Jesus will come as the judge of the living and the dead. And of course, we, we quote that in the creed, that he, he descended into hell on the third day. God uh, raised him from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So it's professed in the creed. It's there in Peter's account of what this story is about. But that coming is a coming that is to kind of confirm our forgiveness because that passage ends with all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And, and I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful that, that Jesus has extended forgiveness to us. And I'm grateful that now we can be a part of those to whom Christ has been revealed. So like Mary and like Peter, we too can now be witnesses. This brings us to kind of our, our closing passage. It comes from uh, Colossians chapter 3. It's Paul's, Paul's letter to the church at Colossia. It's just a few verses here. It says, beginning in verse 3, So, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then, all, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. As you look at that brief passage, there's a couple of things, a couple of ways I think this could be read. This could be read as we view the end, like the end of history, that somehow in the end, um, we will be raised with Christ, like in our resurrection. And in the end, Christ will be revealed and that will be our life with him in glory. But I want to offer kind of an alternative reading for us this morning, that there is a way in which if we have been raised with Christ represents not just our future physical resurrection, but the spiritual resurrection that happens to us in baptism. We go down in the water. We identify with Christ and with death. And we come up out of the water and we identify with Christ and the resurrection. And so we've been given this life to live. We've been given this life to celebrate and to be celebrated. We've been given this life to set our minds on the things above, to, to think as Christ thinks. And of course, Christ thinks about the world. He thinks about us. And that's what I want you to do too. That's why I think the way in which we live through this crisis will be both a huge testimony to the world about the people who we are, but that it will also kind of teach us deeply about who Christ is for us. And it says here in verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, that in some real way that Christ is revealed every time we come to the table of communion, every time we have those elements, uh, every time the, the minister says and prays that the Spirit would descend on them and make them the body and blood of Christ. There are ways in which we are spiritually and mystically kind of taking part of that. And that is our life. And it gives us life. And in a minute here, we're going to be led at the table by our friend Chris Green. But, but before we get there, I just want to say, I love you and I miss you. And even though we're gathered today again in, in small numbers, and even though our joy is mixed with fear, and even though he is not here in the tomb, he is here with us. He's here with us in our sense of emptiness, and hopefully today he can also be here with us in our sense of joy. And I pray that the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, will come to you and that you will experience his joy and his peace. And know this, that he loves you. He went to the cross for you. And that uh, the Father of all raised him from the dead so that we may all experience life with him. God bless you. I hope to see you soon. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.